Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. My name is Evan McFarland. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the discipleship pastor at First West. And uh, man, I'm honored to get to teach you and to walk through the Word of God together this morning. <clears throat> but I have a question for you first before we get into here. Um, how many of you have ever had any sort of family conflict? Anyone? Uh, if you raised your hand, come on up. We're going to have you talk about it in front of everyone. Uh, just hear a little bit about it. Um, I would never have you do that, but we all experience family conflicts, and for some of them, it, it is funny. We can talk about it. We know family can be one of the most, um, uh, er, the, the, one of the greatest areas of conflict in our, in our lives, right? And for sometimes, we can look back on those moments, and they're funny now. We were being ridiculous, or, or uh, man, that's been resolved, and it's all good, and we have good relationship. But for some of you, when I say family conflict, you're still in the midst of a situation where our relationship with a family member has never been the same, right? Something's been said and action's been done that has deteriorated that relationship. And there's unforgiveness between the two of you. And we know this to be true with family. Like Forgiveness hurts in all situations. Because when I say the word forgiveness, we don't forgive in good moments. We don't forgive in good situations. We have to forgive difficult moments. We have to forgive hurtful moments. And so when I say forgiveness, it, it is hard just off the bat. But then when I make you apply that, we have to apply that to our family, we realize it can be even more difficult. It can be hard to seek forgiveness within a family. We've been in a series called The Freedom of Forgiveness. And last week we started a conversation about how we are to forgive others. And if you remember, if you were here last week or um, if you were watching online, you, you heard our sermon last week. Uh, we saw a parable of Jesus talking about an unforgiving servant. But it started with, uh, he taught about forgiveness, and then Peter asked him, uh, Jesus, how many times should we uh, forgive? Seven times? And Jesus answered and says, no, I say, how many times? You were listening. Good job. Seventy times seven. And, and, and what this number is, is an, it's a ridiculous, radical amount. It's like saying to infinity. Like you would never have to forgive that, that, someone that many times. And so Jesus is saying we should be people, if you're a follower of his, if you're a kingdom citizen, we should be people of forgiveness. We should be willing to extend forgiveness to others and forgive them a radical amount of times. And so week one, if you remember the very first week of the series and the beginning of last week's sermon, we learned that the reason we're able to forgive and the reason we do forgive is because the forgiveness and the goodness first shown to us, Right? We realize that the greatest sin we or the greatest need we ever had was to be forgiven of our sins, and that God showed his character in that he forgave us through his son Jesus Christ, or is willing to forgive us, and that we are now called to forgive others. And so we're gonna see this in, in real life. So Jesus was given a parable last week on forgiving others. We're gonna see a real life example from a guy named Joseph. Say Joseph. We're going to see a real-life example from a guy named Joseph. And maybe you're pretty familiar with, when I say Joseph, I'm not talking Mary and Joseph. Had you turn to Genesis, it's, so it's the Old Testament Joseph. And maybe right now, if I had you start calling some stuff out, you could tell me about Joseph. I'm not going to do that, so don't start yelling. Um, but you could tell me some things about Joseph. And maybe you know a lot about the life of Joseph. But what I want to do this morning is I think we have a tendency, I think this is true for all of us, me and you, we have a tendency to sit in these moments 
Maybe you've been in church a long time. I'm not assuming that's true for everyone, but I believe there's some of you in the room who've been in church a long time, and you've heard the Bible stories, and you know them. And what can happen is we can grow dull to those things of what's really happening. You know, my, my, my family and I, we're not from West Monroe. We moved here about five years ago. And when my family comes in town to visit, there's a question they, they usually ask. Hey, Evan, what's that smell? <laughs> right? What, what, what's that smell? And uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. But you didn't smell it this morning, probably. Right? If you live here, it's really easy to get used to that smell. But when people come in from out of town, they're like, man, this town stinks. Right? They smell it. We get used to it often, though. And I think that was ha- that's what happens with the gospel. I think that's what happens with our Bible stories a lot of times. As we hear them so often, we grow, dull, we grow dull to them. And so I want you to hear it with fresh ears. I'm asking right now that you would ask the Spirit to give you fresh ears as you hear the story of Joseph. Now, I told you to turn to chapter 45. There's a lot of story of Joseph before chapter 45. And in fact, 45 makes no sense if we don't know that. But I'm not going to read eight chapters of the Bible to you today, right? And so I'm going to summarize. We're going to have a little story time if I can do that for a moment. So just track along with me. And I'm going to tell you the life of Joseph and what had happened up until this point. And so Joseph, he had, uh, when he was born, he had 11 brothers, okay? He had 11 brothers. And Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob. Say Jacob. Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob. And in fact, the, the other brothers knew it. That probably went over well, right? Go ahead and yell out who your favorite kid is. <laughs> Tell us right now. Um, but he was a favorite of Jacob. He had a coat of many cl- colors. Maybe that's one of the things you would have told me if I would have asked. But the brothers were really jealous of Joseph because he was the favorite. And then Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, he, he goes and tells the brothers that, hey, one day in my dream, it shows that you guys would bow down to me. And then he had a second dream. And in that dream, his brothers and his parents bowed down to him. And Joseph didn't have great discernment, apparently, and he went and told his family about these dreams. There was already some animosity, and he goes, hey, look, one day you're going to bow down to me, right? And you can imagine that made them not real happy. And so Joseph's brothers got to the point of jealousy and anger. They decided they were going to kill Joseph. And they stopped for a moment. One brother tried to speak a little common sense. So instead of killing Joseph, they threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. This is where I want to hit time out. Don't let the smell grow used to you, right? They tried to kill their brother. They were so angry, 11 of them, that they wanted to kill the brother. 10 of them definitely wanted to kill. The other one was just comfortable with slavery. All of them sold their brother into slavery. Listen to what their their anger, their rage, their jealousy did to them. They sold him into slavery. And then once he's in slavery, we see something interesting happen to Joseph. He's sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh, which is in Egypt. So he goes to Egypt. He is a slave to Potiphar. And he finds favor with Potiphar. That's the theme of Joseph's life you're going to hear. He finds favor with Potiphar. And so Potiphar grant, uh, makes him his like, personal assistant and, and in charge of his entire household. Okay? And while he's in charge of the entire household, Potiphar's wife begins to like what she sees in Joseph. And she finds him attractive, and she, she would like to be with him. And so she attempts that, and Joseph, being a man that honors God, he does not go through with that. And, and, and he, he doesn't follow through with, with, with Potiphar's wife. Well, then Potiphar's wife is upset that she's been rejected, and so she sets up a scenario to make it look like Joseph tried to come on to her. And so when Potiphar gets home, she says, Hey, Joseph tried to come on to me. And so Potiphar gets mad, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. Sounds like Jerry Springer, right? And so Joseph gets thrown into prison. Remember, he's done nothing wrong. And in fact, he honored the Lord in his decisions. 
and yet he's in prison right in this moment. And now while he's in prison, he finds favor while he's in prison. And there's a couple other prisoners who, who have some dreams. And they can't figure out what those dreams mean. And so Joseph, through the power of God, interprets those dreams. And he tells them what they're going to mean. And for one of them, not, not so much the other one, but for one of them, the dream was a good thing. And that, that, that one was a cupbearer. And he tells the cupbearer, he says, hey, listen, when this dream comes true and you get out of here, remember me. Remember I helped you in this moment. And so the cupbearer, the dream comes to fruition and he gets out and he does not remember Joseph. And so he's been betrayed by the cupbearer. He's been forgotten by the cupbearer. So he's still in prison. Well, years later, Pharaoh, or sometime later, um, Pharaoh has a dream and he wants to know what the dream means. And no one can tell him what this dream means. And so the cupbearer says, hey, look, I knew a guy in prison who helped me understand my dream. Can I go get him? And so they get Joseph, bring him to Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh what the dream means. And so he finds favor with Pharaoh. It's a theme of Joseph's life. And in this favor, he places them over all the land of Egypt. You see, in the dream, he told them that, um, uh, or in the interpretation of the dream, he told them a, a famine would be coming, and so they were to store up food. And so Joseph is in charge of this storing up food and then selling the food to people during the famine. And while he's doing this, his brothers show up. A lot happened between brothers and then, right? But his brothers show up. And he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. It's been a long time since they've seen each other. And his younger brother, Benjamin, now Benjamin, he wasn't a part of the scheme to get rid of Joseph. He's younger than Joseph. And so Benjamin and his father aren't with the brothers the first time they meet Joseph. And so he sends them back to get Benjamin. So Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize Joseph, and they leave to go back to get Benjamin. They come back with Benjamin. Joseph gives them the grain they need because of the famine. When they head out, Joseph has his cup slipped into Benjamin's bag. What it looks like is that Benjamin has stolen this cup from Joseph. And so as they're leaving, Joseph sends his men after him, and he goes, and they find the cup, and they say, hey, have you stolen from, from Joseph? And so they take them under arrest, and they bring them back to Joseph. Now, Joseph is the one who set up that scenario. So why was he doing this to his brothers? You see, he's catching them. He catches them, and what he tells them he's going to do is to punish the younger brother, Benjamin, who had the, ba- uh, the, the cup in his bag. What he wants to do is to see how they'll respond in this moment. You see, Joseph put his brothers in a position to abandon another brother just like they did him. And he wanted to see how they would respond. But this time, the brothers refused to lose another brother. And they responded in a way that they had changed and they passed the test that Joseph gave them. And all of that gets us to Genesis 45. If you would, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word as we see the response to Joseph, to his brother, Joseph and his brothers. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1 through 15, says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? They could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and will be five more years without plowing and harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have, there I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you, uh, everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. Tell my father about my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. You're a gracious God, a providing God, a forgiving God. God, as we see your heart reflected in the life of Joseph, would it compel us to be a forgiving people? God, forgiving is hard. It means stepping into the hurt, but it honors you, so would we do it? God, as we dig into your word today and discover the truth of it, do we look more like you when we walk out of this room than when we walked into it today? In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So there's a lot going on with Joseph in this story, isn't there? There's a lot of moments that got, got him here. His hurt, his family dynamics, his rights, his power, all this stuff. But ultimately, faced with this moment, Joseph chooses forgiveness. And that's where we're going to pull our main idea from today. Our, our main idea is really simple, but we're going to unpack the power of it. Our main idea is this, if you're taking notes. Forgiveness allows for restoration. Forgiveness allows for restoration. Now, this word restoration, we need to understand what that means. And so restoration, if you just look up the, the, the definition, it says the act of returning something to its former place or condition. The act of returning something to its former place or condition. Uh, I was even talking this week, and you could even maybe sometimes say to a better condition than it was before, right? If you're restoring an old car, that car, when you restore it, may be in better condition than it even originally was, right? So restoring it is re- returning it to its former condition or in an even better condition. And so this, we'll, we'll focus on the effects of restoration in our life next week in our sermon. But this week, I want to show you how forgiveness opens the door to restoration, to what was broken being brought back together. An important note that we need to understand as we walk into these next two weeks, and please hear me clearly when I say this. That restoration is not possible without forgiveness, but forgiveness does not always lead to restoration. Okay? Hear me when I say that. That restoration is not possible without forgiveness. It has to start with forgiveness. But forgiveness in our life does not always lead to restoration. We we looked at last week um, that, that it is the heart of God to redeem and restore what is broken. But we also looked at what forgiveness is not. And we realize sometimes that an offense has happened a crime has happened, something has happened that the relationship is just never going to be the same, right? And we realize that's true, that trust is never going to be rebuilt. We understand that. But in order for that relationship to ever be restored, it has to start with forgiveness. It doesn't always lead there, but it starts there every single time. Forgiveness allows for restoration. So our our first point from this text as we walk through, we're going to kind of break it down. Our first point is this, forgiving people, hear me, Forgiving people show grace instead of retribution. Forgiving people show grace instead of retribution. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants, so he called out, 
Send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. You see, Joseph can't control his emotions any longer. He tells everyone to get out of the room. Why, why is he sending everyone out of the room? Why, why does he have to clear the room in this moment as he can't control himself? Well, we need to understand all the things that happened to him prior, but let's look at what happened to him right before in verse 33. You see, he just caught them with the cup in Benjamin's bag. And Judah, he had promised their father Jacob. He said, look, Jacob was very hesitant to send Benjamin to Egypt. He had already lost Joseph, his beloved son. He didn't want to lose Benjamin either. And so Judah says to his father, he says, look, we'll take him so we can get the grain, but I promise you he'll come back to you. I promise you I'll bring him back. And in verse 33, as they've been caught with this cup, he says, now please let your servant remain here, uh, uh, here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. This is his brother pleading on behalf of Benjamin. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Right? He's begging that, hey, don't, leave, don't, don't keep Benjamin. That's going to break my father's heart. Don't abandon him. You see, Joseph, as I told you earlier, was testing his brothers. You see, last time when, when they had a moment of jealousy, when, when one was perceived as the favorite, they took the advantage they had. They took the opportunity they had to get rid of that brother. And so in this moment, Benjamin, as the favorite, the only one who he, the, 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 the father pleaded, hey, don't let him go to Egypt. I love him. They have an opportunity again to get rid of that brother. But they choose differently. They showed they had changed. The word we would use in church a lot is repented, right? They had changed their behavior and how they acted towards him. So Joseph, in seeing this, had restrained himself for as long as he could. And he instructed all the, 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 the people, all the attendants to leave. Why did he ask them to leave? This is so important for us. You see, he wanted this moment. He needed this moment to be exclusive to his family, just to his family. Why is that important? Why is this a principle we need to know right now? Hear this, and this is going to be hard for us. True forgiveness doesn't want to see the one being forgiven harmed. True forgiveness does not want to see the one being forgiven harmed. It, we handle the matter privately in order to protect them. This is a hard principle. Now, what, I, what I'm not saying here, what I'm not saying clearly, I'm not talking about in criminal offenses. I'm not talking about where um, abuse has happened. Those things need to be, be brought to light in the proper way. And so that, that those can be found out and made right. But in instances where we've been wronged, in instances where, we've been, uh, where we feel hurt, we've been stabbed in the back, betrayed, whatever the situation is, we should, true forgiveness doesn't say, I'm going to handle this publicly so people know what they did. That's not true, that, 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 that is not true forgiveness. You see, Joseph, he wanted this moment in private because remember the story I told you of Joseph. He is highly favored in Egypt, Right? And he's favored by the people who are in that room who are surrounding him. Oftentimes people in power have a lot of yes men around them, don't they? And so they had a lot of people around him that probably looked up to Joseph. And so in that moment, if he would have said, brothers, you are the ones who sold me into slavery. You are the ones who betrayed me. You are the ones who tried to kill me. Anytime those brothers would have walked around Egypt, that would have been their label. You're the one who hurt Joseph. You're the one who stabbed him in the back. You're the one who gave your brother away. And true forgiveness doesn't want to see those people be harmed, the ones who need forgiving. He doesn't want to see them be harmed. Listen, it's an unforgiving spirit that wants the world to know just how much you were hurt. When we need the world to know how bad we were hurt, how, how, how much we were betrayed, how stabbed in the back we were, that's an unforgiving spirit. That is seeking retribution. I want them to feel what I felt. 
I want them to experience consequences that I have felt. We want them to be hurt, and that's not forgiveness. Scripture tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. And that is what forgiveness is in our life. We don't seek to hurt the person. We don't seek to expose them. We don't speak to, to, to make them walk through what we walk through. But true forgiveness handles it privately. Verse 3, he goes on and says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? They could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. So you see, this moment's an absolute shock to the brothers. Joseph recognized them, remember, but they didn't recognize him the first time. And why is this such a shock to the brothers? Well, one, uh, they've been telling people Joseph was dead. If you read back in the story, they've been telling people that Joseph was dead. And you know how you say something long enough, you kind of start believing it, right? They may have actually thought, and it, it wouldn't be unlikely that, uh, that Joseph would have been dead. You sell him into slavery, but he's at least dead to them. But they've been telling people, hey, our brother Joseph is dead. And so they're thinking that. And so when this guy says, I am Joseph, that's a shock to him, right? Not only that, something we need to think about in the context um, Joseph is Egyptian now. They are Hebrew. They speak different languages, right? If you read back in the text, there's an interpreter between the two of them. There's an interpreter. Joseph would say something and would tell the Hebrews what was said, right? So in this moment, but remember, everyone's cleared out. It's just a family. And so he's been speaking to them through a translator. In this moment, in their native tongue, in their language, he says, I am Joseph. Imagine the weight of that moment that they felt, the terror in that moment. Everyone is gone now, and this sound of I am Joseph exploded on their ears and created terror in their hearts. Remember, not only did they sell him to slavery, they just got caught with a the cup. They don't know Joseph planted that cup. And so in this moment, they're expecting punishment. And they see their brother who is crying now, who they sold into slavery in front of them. And he asks about their dad, and they can't even answer him. Now look at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. They came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. You see, this command had several purposes. It's not, hey, come close to me so I can punch you in the face, right? It's come close because Egyptians and Hebrews w wouldn't get near each other. They considered it unclean. So he's showing them, hey, come near. It's a sign of, of hey, trust, right? Come near to me. Come near so you can see my face. I am Joseph. I've changed, but I and Joseph. And then moreover, he gives them a detail that only they would know, that only Joseph would know. I'm sorry. He says, the one you sold into Egypt. No one else knew what had happened to Joseph. So he tells them, hey, I am Joseph and I'm proving it. Come near me. I'm the one you sold into slavery to Egypt. And with all of that, there could be no question that this was their brother standing in front of them. And this next verse is absolutely amazing. And if you hear no other verse, I want you to hear this verse. And I want you to think about what we learned. Don't let the smell grow familiar, right? Think about all we learned. That he's been betrayed. He's been sold. He's been lied on. He's been forgotten by his family. He's been abandoned. He's been, all of these things have happened in his life. And what's his response in this moment? Verse 5. And now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. You see, he has every right in this moment to get even, but he chooses grace instead of retribution. He chooses forgiveness instead of getting even with them. How is this possible for Joseph? How is it possible for him to sit here in this moment? Well, I think there's a principle that we're mistaken of in life. When we talk about forgiving others, oftentimes we don't think we have to give forgiveness to someone until forgiveness is requested, right? That they've wronged me. And I'm going to do me until they come to me and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I've done. Would you forgive me? 
And they were like, okay, now they've shown repentance, they've shown that, then yes, I will forgive them. But that's not true. That's not the case. You see, forgiving others must happen internally before it can happen externally. Joseph didn't know this moment was going to happen. Sometime along that story of, uh, of Joseph that, that I've mentioned to you, that I told you, Joseph internally had decided to forgive his brothers. And so he was ready for this moment, for restoration, to be with them again because internally he had decided to forgive them. You see, Joseph, they're sitting there and these brothers are terrified and he's weeping. He had chosen to forgive them already. And so when this moment occurred, he chose not to seek revenge. He chose not to avenge the wrongs, but he chose to give grace instead of retribution. We love a good revenge story, don't we, in our culture? Like, if there's a revenge movie out, it usually blows up in the box office. How many of y'all have seen a movie called Taken? Anyone seen Taken before? Yeah, a few of us. And so Taken, spoiler alert, his daughter is Taken, right? And his daughter's Taken, and uh, Liam Neeson, he goes on a rampage to get his daughter back. And you're rooting for him the whole time, right? Get revenge. Do that to them. Like, don't just get your daughter back, but make them pay. Make them suffer for what they're doing. Maybe you've seen the movie Gladiator, right? Gladiator, yeah, there there we go. We got a little classic revenge movie. Man, we are rooting for him to get revenge at the end. Maybe you don't watch those movies, but maybe you watch superhero movies and the idea of the Avengers, right? Avengers Endgame, when they come and they they avenge the world for the wrong that had been done to mankind. You see, we love these stories of, hey, make, make it right. It's built within us. Make it right. Get even. Get justice for yourself. And I want you to think, how satisfying would that be in this moment for Joseph? How satisfying would it be for us to read? Don't let the smell grow familiar. Take a step back. And Joseph, he's gotten to this point. You've read the story. Imagine you didn't know what was next. He's gotten to this point. Brothers in front of him. They're vulnerable in front of him. Hey, draw close. And at that moment, he could have had like the police bust in and arrest him and take him to prison. He could have punched him in the face. He could have had him uh, killed. He could have done so many different things to us. And in a movie setting, a lot of us would be like, that's what they deserve, right? When he was just a boy, they got rid of him. They, they, they sold him into slavery. They threw him in a pit. They tried to kill him. That's what they deserve. That's not forgiveness. That's not the picture of forgiveness. That's not what we see in Joseph. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness, hear me, is grace instead of retribution. It's forgiving. It's letting it go and not wanting to pay them back for what they've done to you. This is so hard. How is that possible? How is it possible that forgiving people show grace instead of retribution? That leads us to our second point today. Our second point is this. Forgiving people recognize God's perspective. Forgiving people recognize God's perspective. Verse 5, read it again with me. It says, And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. What does it mean, God sent me ahead of you? It's an interesting phrase he uses. Look down at verse 6. Keep going. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you, there it is again, to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of the entire household, and ruler over the land of Egypt. When we walk through hurtful situations in life, you know, in this series, as we've mentioned forgiveness, or we've mentioned hurt, or whatever the word is, and you think of a certain situation or relationship in your life, when we walk through those moments where someone's wronged us, where someone's hurt us, it's so hard to think outside of that moment, right? If you've been hurt, if you've been betrayed, that, that moment becomes all-consuming in your life, doesn't it? 
You think of how you're going to get out of it, how you're going to get them back, how you're going to make it known, how you're going to make it right. Whatever it is, it just becomes all-consuming. When you're laying in bed, when you're working during the day, when you're going about your business, it becomes all-consuming. It's hard to see outside of those hurtful situations. All we see is the hurt and the immediate moment. But we see the opposite from Joseph here. You see, he's in the middle of this moment, but he emphasizes the work of God and not what his brothers did to him. Verse 5, God sent me ahead of you in order to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to establish a remnant. Verse 8, they did not send me to Egypt. God did. We see he has a different perspective than just focusing on the problems. He he knew they had done wrong. He knew they had hurt him. He knew they had tried to kill him, but he did not focus and dwell on that. He had a different perspective that allowed him to forgive. He chose to focus on the provision that God had for him. He focused... His, his perspective on how God was working in the situation. You see, Joseph's words allow us and allow the brothers to pull back the veil to see what God had really been doing behind the scenes. It was bigger than selling them into slavery. It was bigger than Potiphar's wife. It was bigger than the cupbearer. It was bigger than all of that. God overruled the hateful actions of the brothers and worked it all out for good, right? He worked it all out for good. Was it for Joseph's good? Not always. Was it for God's good? Yes, always. He worked it out to bring glory to himself. God used Joseph as an instrument to bring provision to his people, and then Joseph recognized God's perspective, that this wasn't by accident. Were the brothers still responsible for their actions? Yes, absolutely they were accountable for their sin. But God still used them to accomplish a divine purpose. It's one of my favorite attributes of God is his redeeming quality. I, I could, we could have a whole time today speaking on the sovereignty of God and what he, what he makes happen, what he allows to happen, all that. But what I know about him is I trust him. And what I know about him is he redeems the bad things that happen in life. He is a redeeming God for his purpose, for our good and his glory. And so you've been hurt. Think about the hurt that you've walked through. Again, as I mentioned, what are the things that pop in your mind, the terrible moments of your life? I want to tell you a great promise in Scripture this morning. Those terrible moments, the hardest moments, the moments of betrayal, hurt, backstabbing, broken relationships, family conflict, those moments, they aren't for nothing. You see, God is working and redeeming those things. We see a great promise of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. Just listen and let it absorb in your mind and your heart. For a momentary light affliction... It's producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, forgiving people recognize God's perspective in these moments. Because we realize that those moments, they don't define you, but they do develop you. See, God's using them to make you into who he wants you to be. Joseph was able to see past the betrayal of all the people in his life. He was able to see past the hurt of his brothers, and he realized God's perspective. He realized God was using it to provide for his family and for his people. And forgiving people, we can be forgiving people when we zoom out and we see God's perspective. Look at verse 9 with me. Return quickly to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. 
There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. What I love about Joseph is he is so much into God's perspective that he's not just seeing God's perspective in his past of how God worked all that, but he's seeing God's perspective in his future as well. That God's put me here through all these steps. He's redeemed all of them to have me here that I can provide for my family and for my people. Hurry up, go tell dad, I have a place where all the needs will be provided for because there's a lot of famine left, but God brought me here for this moment to help you guys. Man, forgiving people have God's perspective. They see things from God's perspective. His forgiveness and perspective then leads us to our last point, point number three today. Forgiving people rejoice in relational restoration. Forgiving people rejoice in relational restoration. Verses 14 and 15, they're so good in here. As we've just read everything we've read, look at what the end result this time of Joseph and his brothers are. It says, Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. Such a beautiful moment here. You see, Joseph first embraces Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin didn't have anything to do with him being thrown in slavery. He goes to Benjamin, and he hugs him, and he's weeping, and they, they kiss one another and love one another. And then, as a sign of forgiveness, goes to each of his brothers and hugs them and kisses them as he is crying. Imagine there's a lot of emotions in the room at this time. It's overflowing. You see, times like this, it wasn't a time for explanations or excuses for all that had happened. It was a time for outpouring of love and forgiveness. I love on my timeline on social media when... Uh, a deployment video pops up. You know what I mean? Uh, not when someone gets deployed, but when someone gets to come back home, right? And a lot of times it's like a, a little girl, she's at school or something like that, and she's just going about her normal day at school, and uh, out of nowhere, right, she's at her desk or something, and then behind her, her father appears, and her father's been gone for years overseas. And what happens in that moment as this little girl sees her father, what happens in that moment, the little girl doesn't say, oh, look, it's my father. Let me tell you eight reasons, one, two, and three. I've missed you so much, father, and I'm so glad to see you. And what happens on this side is the father doesn't say, oh, daughter, it's so good to see you. Let me give you reasons A, B, and C why I had to leave, but now I'm back. What happens in that moment? They embrace one another. They cry. They weep together. They kiss one another. They embrace one another because what was separated is now back together. And it doesn't need words, it doesn't need explanations, it doesn't need excuses. It, it, it is an outpouring of love and forgiveness. The reunion between Joseph and his brothers, it was emotional, it was highly emotional. Because the relationship that was thought to be dead is back alive. The relationship that was lost is now found. And we see that this true restoration, real restoration, returns it, remember, to its original condition or an even better one. It's not temporary. And so this real restoration lasted a lifetime. I'm not going to, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to turn over to Genesis 50, this is the end of Jacob's life, their father, right? And at the end of his life, he had just passed away, and the, bro the brothers begin to worry again. Hey, I know Joseph told us he had forgiven us, but dad's gone now, right? You ever had a family situation when a parent passes away or is gone and it kind of goes into chaos, right? Some of us have experienced that. And so they're worried that, hey, maybe dad was the only thing holding Joseph back. And so they're worried, hey, hey send word to him that, that, that our father's last words were that you don't get back with us, right? That, that you don't get, you're not angry with us. And so Joseph tells them, um, 
He tells them in verse 18, his brothers also came to him, bowed before him and said, we are your slaves, 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, this restoration lasted for a lifetime because forgiveness allows for restoration. Remember, that's our main idea today. It doesn't guarantee it, but it's not possible without it. Next week, like I told you, we're going to look at the effects of that restoration. But see, we see here that it starts with forgiveness. Joseph, he recognized the Lord's hand at work in his life and even in the midst of how he was wronged. As we saw in verse 20, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. You see, Joseph had to go through many sufferings and hard situations and betrayals in his life. But he showed grace instead of retribution. He saw things from God's perspective, which led to relational restoration with his brothers that he rejoiced in. This is hard principle for us. Because I told you before, especially with family, these moments of hurt, most of us haven't been sold into slavery by our brothers, right? But we've experienced real hurt within our family units. And maybe you've had a friend, a brother, a sister, a parent, grandparent, someone, a cousin. And as I talk about this today, you think about that situation and how hard it is to forgive them. And, and really what you've chosen to do for many of us is we just choose to ignore it, right? Oh, the relationship's never going to be the same with that person again. Or we're passive-aggressive towards each other. We say hey to each other at Thanksgiving and Christmas, but that's the extent of the relationship now. That doesn't honor the heart of God. God is calling you to forgive. Remember, he longs for restoration. It doesn't always mean restoration happens. But you, we, as Christ followers, we are called to forgive in those moments. And we saw the first week that we can forgive others radically because of the forgiveness that we have been shown. And what we see in the life of Joseph is we see what Jesus did for us. Let me explain to you what I mean when I say that. You see, the relationship with Joseph and his brothers have been broken because of wrongdoing. And our relationship with God has been broken because of our wrongdoing. You see, Joseph had to suffer because of their sin. And Jesus had to suffer because of our sin. And then Jesus used his position to provide, Joseph, I'm sorry, used his position to provide for his people. And Jesus has used his position to provide for his people. And Joseph fully restored his relationship with his family. And Jesus wants a fully restored relationship with you. You see, the heart of Joseph is the heart of Jesus, which should be our heart as Christ followers. We're called to forgive. But for some of us, we find difficulty in forgiving because we haven't experienced the forgiveness of the Father through the blood of Jesus. I believe it's important that anytime we learn from the Word of God, we open the Word of God, that we respond to it. And so we're going to have a, a response moment right now. And just so we're not distracted, I ask that you would bow your head, close your eyes, and you put your Bible down. I'm not doing that for any weird reasons. I just want you to be able to focus in on what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I'm going to offer to you two different invitations in this moment um, that apply to most of us in the room. The first is this. I, I just mentioned it, but for, many of, or for some of us, maybe, we, we, we can't forgive others in the way that we're called to because we haven't experienced the freedom of forgiveness from our Father. You see, this week is leading into spring break and maybe you're thinking about different things you could do there or, or you're thinking about the situation of hurt that you've encountered and you've just kind of been going through life. 
And maybe you come to church every week and you've heard the gospel and you've heard sermons and you've read the Bible. But I pray that the smell wouldn't grow familiar to you today. And I pray that you would really look and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you to say, have I truly walked into the freedom of forgiveness found only in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have I fully surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I stepped into a relationship with him? Because God, hear me, he created you. He loves you. He wants to know you. He wants a restored relationship that was broken because of our sin. But that is only possible through placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you're in here today and you would say, hey, Evan, before I deal with these other relationships in life, I need to get my relationship with God right. And for the first time, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my will to him. I need to say, hey, the rest of my life, I'm here to serve you in order to step into a restored relationship with God. If you would say for the first time today, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you just raise your hand so I can see you. Anyone in the room? Amen. The second thing I want to say, as many of you in this room I know are Christ followers. You're believers, followers of Jesus. And as we talked about this idea of forgiveness, and as I kept bringing it up today, a situation, a person, a relationship kept coming into your mind. And many of you may be processing, how do I forgive someone who's wronged you? They're my family. They're a close friend. They were a close friend. How do I forgive them for what they did? First, remember, it starts internally. You don't know if there's ever going to be a moment where you can restore the relationship, but you have to forgive them today internally first. To forgive them means not to seek out their harm or make people known or aware of what they have done, but it is to fully free them to, to, to where there's not a label on them anymore, to let go of the hurt that they caused you. So you're processing, how can I do that today? It starts internally then you have to be willing to seek grace instead of retribution. You have to be willing to, sp- to seek grace instead of punishment, to forgive them, to see things from God's perspective and how he has used that not to define your life but to develop your life, and to let it go, to forgive them, to restore the relationship. I just want to ask so I can pray for you in this moment. Is there anyone in the room who would say, man, Evan, I need help forgiving someone? And as you've talked about this today, I need to take a step. I need to forgive them internally. Whatever your process, there's a relationship where I know I need to forgive someone, but I'm struggling to do it. Evan, would you pray for me? Anyone, would you raise your hand if that's you? I see you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for this morning. And God, on a, on a day like this, um, a lot of times the last thing we want to do is think about the hurt in our life. But God, I believe for so many of us, it's a step we need to take to grow more intimately with you, to know you more. So God, God, I pray that we would surrender our pride, we would surrender the need for revenge or to get even, and we would surrender to forgive people. God, I pray for strength in that. I pray for discernment and wisdom. And God, they would seek counsel and seek wise counsel if they need help knowing how to do that. God, we thank you first and foremost for your forgiveness to us. It's the greatest thing we needed. Thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. 
Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.